I want to just continue in this kind of um, prayerful, worshipful moment. We're going to open the Word of God together, but I'm going to ask you to um, just kind of stay in this space a minute, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and close your eyes again. Sorry, this isn't nap time, but I am going to ask you to close your eyes again. And um, what I want you to do is picture this. So picture, um, we are here, okay, so, so eyes closed, just kind of processing yourself, your life before the Lord right now, your, your life sort of as you walked in here today. Picture God here in this space, okay? So now I believe theologically God is here in this space, okay? So picture him here with us. Picture him even sitting next to you and sort of putting his arm on your shoulder. And I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself the question, with God right here in this space with you next to you, how does God view you right now? And maybe the, the correct theological answers are coming to your mind, but ask yourself how you feel. Like, how do you feel God views you right now in light of everything you've done today, everything you've done this week, this year, whatever? How does God view you? All right, you can open your eyes now. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. That's not a good transition. Um, this is what I want to do. Okay, so what came to your mind as you're sitting there? I don't know how you guys are. Some of you are like, man, God loves me so much. I felt God's love in all these ways this week, and that is amazing. That is amazing. I often have weeks like that where it doesn't take much, and I'm just like a teary mess. I'm like, oh, God loves me so much. Look at the kids that he gave me. Look at the wife that he gave me. Look at the church family. You know, just all these things like overwhelming. But there's others of you that have had, man, a really tough time this week or today or this year or this lifetime, right? And when you think of how God views you, when you think of like, who am I before the Lord? And when God is thinking of me, what are his thoughts like? You think more like, he's disappointed in me, you know? Like, I, I, I know what I should be doing, and I'm not doing that. And so God, when he thinks of me, is disappointed. Or God's angry with me. Or God's kind of underwhelmed at my performance. Like, I don't know how you are, but if you're honest with yourself and can recognize, you know, I do think that God maybe views me in that way. And now I want to do this. We're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians. And the first words of this passage have hit me so hard this week in light of this, considering how God views you. So that's your opinion. That's your perception of maybe how God views you and how that's striking you. Now I want to read to you some words that God says. So these words now are going to be more true than anything that you can think about yourself. Anything you think about God, what God is going to say to us now is more true than any of that, okay? And here's Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica. What he says about them is true for us as well. He says, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Let's just even stop right there. So he's writing to this church, this little church, like three months old, okay? And they're just like sitting there, and they're amidst all this persecution, and they had the seeds of the gospel planted, and they responded, and Paul's writing to them, and he says, you, my brothers and sisters, because they're now a family in the Lord, right? They've been made into this family. You are loved by God. So I don't know how you feel. I don't know what, how you, what you've been through. I don't know like what you've been through this year or this lifetime or this morning or whatever, right? But I know that if there's thoughts that you have as you process, okay, God is sitting next to me and he's got his hand on my shoulder and he thinks of me, I can tell you the thoughts that he feels towards you, the overwhelming big picture way that God views you is not anger. It's not frustration. It's not underwhelming. It's not disappointment. The, the overarching and foundational feeling that God has towards you is 
love. You are brothers and sisters loved by God. And he says you are, uh, that God has chosen you. Meaning like he's building this family and he's taken and saying, okay, I'm going to adopt these children. So these here, these are mine. I'm going to adopt them as my children, loved and chosen by God. I mean, that's just, that's been hitting me so much this week. These simple truths that when we hear like everything that's going on in the world around us, right? All of these different voices that are speaking different things about us and to us and, and everything else. The voice that I want us to hear the most, the, the voice that we need to hear the most is God's voice. Amen. God's voice this morning is saying this. You are loved. You are chosen. He is so glad that you are here. He is pleased in you. It doesn't matter that you haven't been performing the way that you think you should. It doesn't matter that you haven't been performing the way that you think he thinks you should. What matters is he loves you and he's chosen you and we're here as a family. And that is so good for our souls to let that sink in from time to time. Now, for the Thessalonians, God is going to call them to do some hard things, okay? God does that a lot, a lot of times, okay? Call them to do some hard things. We're going to see it as the letter unfolds as we go week by week through what Paul writes to them here. There's some really tough um, situations that they're facing, and God's going to call them to some hard things. God does that. We should expect it, right? But before and after and, and undergirding that whole thing is this reality. They are loved by God. They're chosen by him. It's a beautiful thing. And I think that it is such a good reminder. Uh, the society that we live in, in many ways, a lovely society, in many ways, a really messed up society, right? And that society, however you experience it, is constantly telling you that your value is based on what you can accomplish, right? Your value is based on how likable you are, how many followers, how many, like how good you look, what kinds of people are attracted to you, those kinds of things. That, that's the message we get all the time from our society. And you go from there into religious groups, and religious groups are constantly telling us that our value comes from how obedient we are and how righteous we are and all the good things that we are or aren't doing. There's all of these messages saying your value comes from these things, so let's step it up and let's become more valuable and more accepted. Meanwhile, here's God speaking quietly, speaking persistently and just saying, you are, man, we're, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're my children. I've chosen you. I love you. And I want us, my whole point this morning that I'm just going to say a whole bunch of times, my whole point is God is speaking to us, always speaking to us. God is speaking to us. And the question is, are we listening and how are we listening to the word of God? And so I want us to model this off of uh, what Paul says in Thessalonians. So he's telling them here, um, we know uh, we know, brothers, so he's just thanked God for them. He's saying, I can't even think about you without praising God, thanking God, because he says in verse four, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he's chosen you. So how? Like, how does Paul know? Why is Paul so sure when he's speaking to these people that God loves them and that God's chosen them, like adopted them as his children? How does he know that? And he answers it in verse five. He says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So this is the answer to his question. Man, you are loved by God. He's chosen you. How do I know that? Because when the gospel came, I came to you in word. I spoke to you and you heard it, okay? So it came to you in word, but he says not only in word, right? It also came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. There was something about the way this word was spoken and the way that it like met a reception in their hearts to where Paul's saying, yes, that is it. That response, the way that the word of God hits you in that, that tells me everything I need to know about, man, you, you are responding to God's word. You're ready for it. Like God loves you. He is preparing you to hear his word like this. Um, it's such a beautiful picture. 
It's a picture to me of, uh, of like a, uh, a seed being sown in good soil. Okay, so I can picture, picture like a farmer explaining the difference between good and bad soil. And, and for me, I don't picture this hypothetically. I picture Mike Rupert, who is uh, one of our uh, missionaries to the homeless community through Trackside Church. Picture Mike Rupert. He's a seed geneticist, okay? And I can picture him telling me about the soils and the, the nitrates and the phosphates. And I'm not certain those things are in soil, but I kind of think that they are. And what makes good soil versus bad soil, but then I could picture him kind of stepping back and just saying, okay, look, 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 here's the difference between good and bad soil. Watch this. And I picture him taking two seeds, okay, and just getting down, and there's two different kinds of soils, and he drops the seeds into the soil, and then there's a time-lapse split screen of two soils, one in which a plant grows, and the other just stays dead soil, right? What's the difference between good and bad soil? In one of them, a seed actually grows, and there's a plant that flourishes and lives because of it, right? And I picture Paul saying this to the Thessalonians. Man, I am so thankful for God. Man, you can see how much God loves you because look at this. His word came to you, and your hearts were this good soil where that seed just dropped, and it was like you responded. And there's all this life that comes up and comes flowing out of your life. I think he would say the same thing to us, right? What what is it like? When God's word comes to us, it's like a seed hitting the soil of our hearts. So is it bouncing off? Is it sitting there and we memorize it and we um, we carry it around? Or does it sink down in deeper? So he says that the the word of God came. Now, what what did it do? It came, he says, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? It's easier to... um, I feel like I know what that feels like personally. It's harder to like explain what that is like. Okay, so for me, I grew up and the word of God was like the backdrop to my life. So um, my dad, I've shared this, my dad was worship leader. My mom was the choir director. My mom was the principal of the Christian school that I went through from ki- kindergarten through 12th grade, okay? So man, I can tell you, I heard a lot of sermons. I heard a lot of crazy, cheesy Christian music. Um, I was an Awana champion during that time, which some of you know what a big deal that is. All right, all right. Uh, and man, the word of God was like the bread and butter. It was all over the place. And I would literally get like candy if I could memorize it and speak it back to people. Okay. So the word of God was there and it was floating all around and it was constantly hitting my eardrums and it was coming out of my mouth. Right. But then there was a moment somewhere in probably my late high school years where it was actually, I was getting into, um, doing worship music myself. And there was something about that time where it was like the word of God, just kind of one of those seeds just sort of like dropped down from my head down into my heart, and it kind of sprouted something, you know? And it was, it was like a gnarly little plant that grew, you know? Like I was like a weird Christian kid for a while, but it was like something in it was mine. Something was growing in the soil of my heart, and that was this beautiful thing. I think that's a lot of what Paul's talking about, that the word of God came, and it, yeah, it was in word, but it was not just in word. It was in power, and it was in the Holy Spirit, right? There was something that God was doing to kind of open it up so that when I heard that same word, it meant something to me. Um, first service, I tried not to say the word malapropism, and I did anyways, and now I've just done it again. So there are these, um, there are these phrases, these malapropisms, where we, um, we get a, a phrase and we get it wrong, you know? So my whole life, you know, that phrase, for all intensive purposes, you know, that we say. So it's actually not all intensive purposes, come to find out later in life. It's for all intents 
and purposes. I probably am not making the compelling case I think I am because it sounds so much the same, which is why I was so confused. There, there's this subtle difference. And then when, it, when it's explained to me, I'm like, yeah, what, what is an intense purpose? You know, like what, like what would that have been? Like for all intense purposes, like, no, it's for all intents and all purposes, right? So anyway, doesn't matter. My, my wife said she used to think that um, it, the phrase was nip it in the butt, you know? So like, let's, hey, I don't know what's happened. Let's nip it in the butt, okay? Now that's a useful phrase, okay? Like there, there is like... There's a time to nip something in the butt, believe me, you know? Um, but the phrase is, nip it in the bud, right? Which is agricultural, and it's like, when it starts growing, then we nip that off, and then we don't have to, like, deal with the growth of that whole thing, right? Um, it's the same thing. You hear the same sounds, the same words, and it comes at you, um, but the whole point of it is, right, there comes a time where you understand, like, oh, oh, that's what that saying is. And, man, that is what it is with the word of God. This is what happened to the Thessalonians. They heard the word, and there was just something different about the way that it struck them. The most famous example of this I can think of is Martin Luther, who's like the great reformer in like the early 1500s. And Martin Luther was like, um, he was a monk, and he was just wrestling with this phrase, the righteousness of God. So he's reading Romans, and the phrase, the righteousness of God, he used to hate it. He used to really wrestle with it. And he, like, he knew he wasn't allowed to be mad at God, but he was kind of wrestling and mad at God because the phrase, the righteousness of God, for him was so like, hard because he's like, yeah, I know that God is righteous. You know? like, I know that God is good, and he doesn't have to shove it in our face all the time, looking at us sinful, broken, uh, inadequate human beings. God's righteousness, and Romans keeps talking about how God is righteous, and he hated the phrase until one day— that seed just kind of dropped from his head to his heart, and he had this realization. He says, oh my goodness, the righteousness of God. It's not about God being so much more righteous than us and holding it over us. It's actually God who offers his righteousness to us. And so the righteousness of God comes alive in our hearts, even though we're not great, right? Even though we're all like way more imperfect than we want to be, even ourselves. The righteousness of God is, it says in Romans 3, the righteousness of God for us who believe, right? It, it, it's, it's God offering. It and for, for Martin Luther, that changed everything. Changed his relationship to the word of God, to God himself, to the church around him. And there was these huge reforms that came through that realization. So for the Thessalonians, the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and also with full conviction, this like deep, full conviction that they had where now it's not just the word of God that I memorize as an Awana champion. It's now the word of God that I begin to care about, right? I care about what God says. I have this conviction about it. And when I hear it, I care about it. And I care about the way that it kind of seeps out into my life. And I care about the way that it begins to affect my community. So when God tells us like, hey, they're going to know that you're my followers by the way that you love one another, that full conviction comes in and says, yes, I actually care about the way that I love the people around me. And I actually care about like fostering that love. And I actually care that the way that we're known to the people around us is through the love that we share rather than us coming up with some other version of what it means to be a Christian. And so anyways, all this is saying to these Thessalonians, man, this is how we know. I mean, you're so loved by God. You're adopted as his children. And I can tell that because the word of God came to you, this gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done for you, that he loved you, that he died for you, that he gave this ultimate picture of his love by dying for you. I know how loved you are because when that good news came to you, when you heard that word of God, you responded in power, the Holy Spirit working this deep conviction. I tried to figure out how to tell you guys how to do that this week, okay? How do you receive the word in power and the Holy Spirit in full conviction? How do you do it? And I'll tell you there is still a blank on my notes with that. I don't know how to tell you how to do that. Um, but I can tell you that if that's something that you want 
just asking God for it, right? Just tell God that you want that. Lord, I want your word to affect me deeply. And that's something I constantly pray for for myself. I pray it for you guys. I literally do. That God's word would just find that home in your heart, that resonance in your heart. This week I've been just imagining, man, like what would it look like if we were a church like this? So simple, right? But a church that hears the word of God, and when we hear it, it comes not just in word, but it comes in power, and it comes with the Holy Spirit, and it comes with full conviction. What would our church family, what would we look like in our community and in our families and with each other if that began to take shape in our lives? We're so caught up, I think, in, um, in the news cycles. I mean, like, there's so much going on, and everybody wants us to pay attention to that and to care about these certain things. I mean, did you guys hear about the Ukraine this week? No, no, I mean, did you guys hear about the uh, mask mandate updates this week? Okay, everyone's really uncomfortable right now. I'm not going to tell you what I think about it. Um, did, did, you, did you hear what's happening in the world around us or, or what, you know, like all these news cycles that come and it's like they elicit a reaction in us and we care so much about what these words that we hear or that we read say to us, right? But what if we were a group of people that sort of became like, we don't have to be uninformed or unaware, but what if we cared way less about some of these things, or at least about being super up-to-date on the news cycles? And what if instead we were, like, had our ears peaked and ready to hear, okay, God's speaking, hang on, this one matters most, right? Doesn't matter what I read this week, doesn't matter what someone's wanting me to be, doesn't matter what's trending, I can be out of touch with the trends if I need to be, because I want to be listening to these really old words that God says, but that are so, so important, that should and can change our souls. Now, Paul goes on, and I love the way he describes what happened, what this reception of the word did for them. So he talks about in the second half of verse 5, he says, um, he says, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul is saying, look, this is what happened when the word of God came. And what he describes is, okay, you remember when we were with you, do you remember all the doctrines that we listed for you? Do you remember all the things that we taught you? Do you remember all that information that we put in your head? He's not, he's not talking about recalling the information, right? He's saying, when we were there and we were speaking the word of God to you, he says, do you remember um, the way that we lived, right? So we told you about the love of God, and then we lived in a way that showed the love of God, right? We told you about, like, caring for the poor and the oppressed. And then once we were among you, we actually lived in a way that cared for the poor and the oppressed. And so he was saying, we offered, like, ourselves to you, our lives. And the, and the word of God came into our heads. It came down into our hearts, and it began changing our lives. And he says, you yourselves can see. You can tell. You saw the fruit of this word of God taking root in our lives. And then he looks at the Thessalonians and said, you did the same thing too. You received the word in a way that it changed your life. And so we set you an example. You followed that example. Now you're following that example, being an example to the other people around you. And so the beautiful thing, man, they're, they're hearing the word of God in a tough situation. So like, don't get me wrong. Like when Paul is speaking, he wasn't like, man, conditions were perfect in Thessalonica. We preached the word and you guys had it so easy. You had leisure time to sit around and read your Bibles. It was so good. Like you guys all organized like these Bible studies and the whole town was super interested in what was happening. Paul's not saying anything like that. He's saying, we came and we preached the word to you 
and it was in great affliction, like intense affliction. I don't, remember if you, I don't know if you remember last week, but we were saying when Paul started this church, he had about three weeks with them before the religious and uh, political communities ran Paul and his, and his uh, buddies out of town. And then when they went to the next town, the people from Thessalonica came and followed them there and ran them to the next town yet because they're like, get away from here with this message. Here's a church in intense conflict, intense um, opposition, and Paul's saying, man, when that word came, you saw how we behaved, you followed in, like, like in our pattern, and you began to do the same thing. And so the word came to you in affliction, but also with the joy of the Spirit. The Spirit of God just came alive in you. The Spirit of God took that, the seeds of that word and just brought it to life. And so, man, this is how you were able to respond to that whole thing. And so when I see this, I just think, man, what, like, what would I be like? What would we be like if we were people that heard the word of God? Like, what if we were like the one church, okay? The one church that heard the word of God, and rather than putting together really nifty doctrinal statements and writing really big theology books, what if we were the ones that were like, oh yeah, God said something this morning, so I'm gonna like do what it says. That would be amazing. And I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious about saying the one church. All I'm saying is we all would love to do this more than we are, but man, what if we could just sit there and stop and think, take that deep breath and just say, okay, whew, the Lord is speaking to me. Okay, so right now we're reading God's actual words here, right? God is speaking to me. Am I listening to him? And how am I listening to him? Am I listening in such a way that I actually care? That's not about um, what I can learn or how I can show what I learned to somebody else, but man, will it change my life? Will it affect the people around me? Last couple of verses here that just show the deep effect of this, starting in verse eight. For not only has the, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So here he's saying, look, he's like, we, we go around town to town, and he's like, we don't even, we're not even having to preach the gospel anymore, because now we're traveling, and he, the, Paul was so worried, what happened to the Thessalonian church that I left behind? And he's saying, now what's happening is I'm traveling around, and I don't even have to tell people about the gospel, because people are coming to us and saying, Paul, did you hear about the reception that you had with the Thessalonians? Like, they, their lives are changed, they're transformed, and they're, he says, the word of God has sounded forth into this whole region, and he says, their faith has sounded forth, it made an impact to where now there's this reputation that this little church has um, for the way that the word of God came and changed their lives and flowed out to the community around them. It's amazing. It's amazing. So thinking of reputations, if I told you that I wanted to introduce you to a friend of mine and I explained that my friend is from Canada, um, what, would you, what would you think about that person before knowing anything about them? What would you think about my Canadian friend? Go ahead. Be, be stereotypical. It's fine. What's that? Yeah, very, very polite. You guys are too polite. You guys are all Canadian. You're too polite to like interrupt a sermon. Uh, very polite human beings, aren't they? They're very sweet. They're very kind. They probably will apologize for, um, for like something that isn't really their fault. And they'll say thank you a lot. And they'll just be very kind and affirming. Like Canadians have their reputations. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Americans don't have that same reputation. 
There are, there are Americans that when they travel abroad will sew like a Canadian flag onto their backpack. So it's like, okay, I, I know I look American, but uh, I'm Canadian, eh? You know, and, and you just like go through because Canadians somehow, right? Somehow these Canadians manage to like live in such a way that their society like nurtured these like wonderful traits of being like accommodating and kind and polite. And so they've earned this reputation for being a certain way. It's beautiful. It's a lovely thing. Um, what if I was like introducing you to my friend and I explained that my friend is a Raiders fan? What would you think about my friend before meeting him or her? Ra- Raiders fans are intense, okay? Look, I don't, I don't, I don't have like a, a dog in this fight at all, but I'll tell you, Raiders fans are very diverse, but every single version of Raiders fan is really intense, okay? Like you, you do not want to go to like a Raiders game and wear the opposing team's apparel, I don't think, because, you know, bad stuff can happen to you, right? So there's this reputation that they got. So anyways, all is to say... We, as Christians, okay, we have a reputation. We do have a reputation. Now, it'll mean something different to different people, right? So you might, like, at its best, it's like a person that has a little Christian community that is the ones that gave them the reputation. At its worst, there's the media and how uh, evangelical Christians are portrayed in the media and also how evangelical Christians, I believe, like to put their foot in their mouth in front of the whole country or like to really insist on a lot of the things that Jesus did not say. Now, um, there's a lot of political undertones to all that, and I can tell you in private all my opinions if you want. My whole point is we have a reputation as Christians, right? So the word of God came into the United States of America, and, and it came, and Christians responded by what, okay? And over the last couple hundred years, we could explain, well, it looks like this in some ways and this in other ways, and I'm just going to say it's typically not the things that Jesus said were the most important. Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus explained, man, I, I want my people, I want my, my followers to be like one, to be united together in the same way that the Father and the Son are one. I want my followers to be like that. And all the world is going to know that you're my followers by the way that you love one another, right? That is not the reputation that we have, okay? So the, the problem is, I don't think the problem is that we haven't heard the word of God in the American church, right? I think the problem is like, how are we listening, right? How are we responding? Are we letting it sink down? Are we letting it shape us? Are we trying to fight fights that don't really matter? I think often, yes. And are we like listening to the things that God is telling us, let that be a foundation that like soaks up, like our, our roots go down and man, we, we are like rooted in that word of God and it grows this fruit that aligns with the things that God said. So maybe that sounds uh, judgy for me. I don't mean it that. I mean it like this. If we, if we want a reputation as a church, and we're going to have one, um, if anybody knows who we are as individual people, we're going to have a reputation. Just try working it backwards. What do we want to be, like, what, what would God want us to be known for? What would he want the word of God to do in our lives? And then engineer it back and say, okay, how would I have to live my life in order for that to be the reputation um, that we get? I think it's a worthwhile question to ask. And it's not going to come by sending out mailers all over the place. It's not going to become from us like taking out social media ads about like the Christians in this community or Creeksiders or anything like that. Just the way that we live and how we, we listen when God speaks and how we soak that up. And, and I'm really not arguing anything here other than, again, the fact that God is speaking to us all the time. And especially every time we open up the word of God, God is speaking to us. And are we going to listen to the words that God says? And how are we going to listen when God speaks? Because I think when he speaks, what happens is we find that it changes our hearts. And so he says, um, he says in verse 9, 
all these people are reporting concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you. And he says, this is what it looks like. How you turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God. And, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Picture how simple this is. He's saying, everywhere we go, this is the reputation you've, you've earned. You had these idols that you were serving. So they were like caught up in the, the like, um, religion of the day and everything else. There was all these kind of idols, these things that they ascribed value to, these things that were like the most important thing to them. And he says, when you heard the word of God, you turned from those idols and you turned to serve the living and true God. Like how, how simple is that? You left all the other stuff behind and said, this doesn't matter to me like I thought it did. It doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm going to serve the living and true God. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait eagerly for Jesus to return, right? I'm going to wait. This Jesus that loved me, that, that died and resurrected, he's coming back again. I mean, he even mentions like he delivered delivers us from the wrath to come. I think what that's primarily about is there is like this God who exists. And then there's all these human beings who have chosen to live like God doesn't exist, right? And our lives begin to fall apart when we live as though God doesn't exist. And so there's all of this pain and disjointedness that we experience in ourselves and in our society when we reject God. And ultimately, there is a reckoning at the end of it all. Like when Jesus comes back again, like he's, he's, he's died, he's resurrected, he's gone to the Father, and he's coming back again. And when he comes, he's going to set it all to rights. And, and everything that needs punishing, he will punish. And everything that like, needs like, um, healing and restoration, he's going to heal and restore. And he's just saying, like, Jesus is the one that, that delivers us from that wrath. We're not, we're not going to experience that wrath because Jesus delivers it from us. And so he invites us into that sort of right relationship with God. And I just love the beautiful, simple picture of What's this report? Oh, yeah, they told us, you left those idols behind, you turned to serve God, and you're just sitting there lovingly waiting for Jesus to return. It's a simple faith, right? There's not a lot of complexity in that. And I feel like often in the New Testament, there's, there's a very simple faith that's portrayed, but I think we, we become masters at making it more complex. And I wonder if we'd even be okay with a faith that's that simple, of saying, you know, our mission statement as a church we, we want to be a people that find life in Jesus together. We're we glorifying God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. That is a simple, simple faith. Uh, can we actually be okay with that, content with that? My whole, my whole point, when I wake up today and when I wake up tomorrow and I wake up the next day, is I'm going to try to, like, I'm going to grab some of these people that I love that are my brothers and sisters, and together we're going to find life in Jesus, right? Because he says he offers us that life, that eternal life. He offers it to us. So we're going to do that together, and we're just going to keep finding people. We can say, hey, there's all this life in Jesus that we have experienced. Come find it with us. We'll pursue it together. That's a simple, simple, beautiful faith. And I don't know, I, 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 um, there's a part of me that hesitates to share this story, but I saw it this week, and it was just such a um, juxtaposition to this. But there's a simple faith, and then there's a more complex version. So you might have seen this article this week, but in, uh, I saw it in CNN. They were reporting that there was a, a priest, a Catholic priest, who um, for 20 years has like had this ministry where he's baptizing people. Anybody hear the story? Do you know what I'm talking about? And, um, and so he's been baptizing them. Uh, these people, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? The problem is, is that he's been doing it all wrong. So he's been saying, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's supposed to be, I baptize you. And the church explains because it's really Jesus that baptizes, and, and so it's only valid if you say, I baptize, because it's really like, that's where the power of it comes from. The, 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 um, the statement is, 
The issue with using we is that it's not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it's Christ and it's him alone who presides over all the sacraments. So it's Jesus Christ who baptized. And so anyways, this guy's baptisms for 20 years, everyone that he's baptized saying we baptize you, it's invalid. It doesn't count. They're not baptized. And the tragedy is they're not baptized. And also, because the sacraments are um, sequential and cumulative, it also means that every sacrament they've received since then is also invalid. And so this, um, this poor priest has now like resigned in disgrace, and they're using his pastoral energies to go back, track those people down. Like, hey, we got hey, to redo the baptism. We got to redo all the other sacraments. And they're going back through this whole thing because a word was wrong. And look, I'm not trying to cast like a broad brush thing over like the entire Catholic church throughout. It's very diverse movement over thousands of years, okay? So I'm not trying to do that. But what I am saying is when I read a story like that, I just feel exhausted. It just, it tires me out to think that so much would rest on um, what I say in the exact way that I say it. That is more than I can carry. My goodness. I mean, I, I often just feel like Moses, who's like, God's like, hey, I'm going to use you. Here's some proof. And I'm like, okay, Lord, but I am a bumbly speaker, and I don't think that I could say the things that you're calling me to say. And God says, doesn't matter. I'm using you anyways. It is so exhausting to think that we would be set in a religious system where everything has to be just right and in sequence. And if you messed up 20 years ago, you got to go back. Otherwise, everything's messed up. Like that exhausts me. What I want is this simple faith. I want this simple faith where Paul just goes into a city and it's a city in a whole bunch of turmoil and everybody's kind of hurting for different reasons. And Paul goes and just says, look, I'm going to speak the word of God to you. I'm just going to speak the word of God to you, and we're going to watch, and we're going to pray, and hope that that word of God comes to listening ears and sinks down into hearts that are like good soil types of hearts so that that word can grow into something beautiful. And I'll just tell you, that that's, that's literally all I want. Like, that's all I want for myself, is I want to spend the rest of my life just opening myself up. These are good seeds. When God speaks, his voice is so good. It does what he wants it to do. These are good seeds, and I want to spend the rest of my life planting those seeds down into my heart. And I, and I want to. I feel like I have a calling from the Lord to just take these seeds and just, like, throw them out at you guys all. You know, like, week by week, I'm just going to hurl seeds at you and just be like, these are the seeds that matter, right? Are our hearts ready? And I'm going to beg God, as I have been doing, beg God that our hearts would be soft. And so that week after week, regardless of what the topic is, there's so much, there's so much we'll cover even in Thessalonians. We're going to get into crazy end times stuff before this is all over. So there's so much diversity in here, but I just want it to be like this seed that gets scattered and we're just constantly begging God, Lord, open our hearts, make us good soil to receive what you've said. And I want to end with this. I haven't been able to get past, um, we, we talked through Isaiah last year sometime and, um, and the whole book of Isaiah ends with this simple statement. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hands have made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So here's God speaking, the end of this entire like book of Isaiah, kind of the end of the whole Old Testament is basically where he's at. And he's just saying like, look, you guys have to understand something about me. Like, Heaven's my throne. The earth is just like my footstool. Like I, I own all of this. I'm way bigger than all of this. And so like, hey, that's great that you guys built this temple that you're going to worship me in, right? And I think he'd look at us and be like, hey, that is so great that you guys have this like Creekside building. It's lovely. I love the new roof you put on. I like what you did with the floor. It's like, I like this place. This is great, right? But I feel like God is just saying, but I own it all, right? I'm so much bigger than all of it. And heaven is my throne. I rest my feet on this earth. And so your tiny little places and the tiny little rituals 
roles that you do, like, it is so sweet, but let, let, me understand, let me help you understand, there's something so much bigger, and God says this, but this is the person that I'm going to look to. I'm not looking for the biggest temple. I'm not looking for the biggest church building. I'm not looking for the loudest worship. I'm not looking for any of these things. This is the person that I'm going to look to, God says. And he closes off Isaiah, and in many ways, the whole Testament with this. I'm going to look to this person that is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Gosh, isn't that beautiful? It's just so much more simple than everything we build, right? I'm just looking for that humble person, that person that's contrite in spirit, that when I, when I say something is willing to say, Lord, I was wrong. I, I, I am not doing great in my life in the ways that I want to. I was wrong. And then just trembles at his word, basically meaning when God says something, it's like, oh, okay, God's voice, that's the most important thing. I take this more seriously than anything else, right? I'm willing to turn off the news or the basketball game or whatever I have going on, and I'll turn that off. And Lord, you speak to me, and I care about what you have to say. That's what I want so much for us. So back to where we started. How, how does God view us he tells us very clearly, he loves us. He's chosen us, right? He's speaking his words to us all the time. And the question is simply, are we listening to what he says? And how are we listening to what he says? So I want to process that together by singing. So I'm going to invite the band back up. And I'm going to invite us to just take another moment of, um, of just kind of closing our eyes and sitting with the Lord for a minute. And I'm going to ask you as we're just kind of sitting here to again picture the Lord uh, sitting in here with you, okay? And picture his hand going up on your shoulder and picture um, him speaking to you these words, that you are loved by God, that you have been chosen in him, that is so deeply true of us. And so let's just invite the Lord. Lord, I, on behalf of these beautiful brothers and sisters that you've placed around me here, Lord, would you just make our hearts good soil, not just today, but Lord, Lord, for decades, for the rest of our lives. Could our hearts somehow, Lord, just be good soil, ready to hear your word in power and with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction? Lord, would you make that true of us? Lord, I know how many times I've prayed this and I've still um, let my heart grow apathetic. I've still, you know, gone after other things. I've still... I just missed everything that I think you're saying to me so often. And Lord, would you please, Lord, right now in this moment, would you make our hearts open to hearing your word? And as we go out from here, as we pick up our Bibles at home, as we read the words that you've said, as we pray and we listen for your voice in prayer, would you speak to us, Lord? And may we be good, rich soil, just ready to embrace the things that you say, to believe those more than we believe anything else. And Lord, to let grow in that soil anything that you want to grow in it. And that's our prayer, and we ask this in Jesus' name.